Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ah, you know what that music means. Welcome in to a very special edition of UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. I am Stephen Diener. Over there is Karen Curtis. How are when you, Karen? When the moon hits you, I like a big <laughs> pizza pie. That's somebody. You know it's going to be good when we start off with Karen singing because it's all about the moon. Oh, goodness. And I say it's a special edition for two reasons. Uh, number one... Welcome to season three. Oh my gosh, really already? Yes, we just moved right along here on UAP. And it's the uh, first episode of season three, but we're starting off with a bang here. Not only is it the start of season three, but it is a two-parter. Yep. To start off the new season. Well, you got to give the moon two parts. Yes, there's so much. And we were going to try to fit everything about the moon, secret history of the moon, all the stories. All You the... wouldn't believe it. We wouldn't be able to survive without the moon here on Earth. That's true. But there's so much to talk about when it comes to the different testimonies and the stories and the uh, the accusations about the moon and the Apollo missions and all these different things that there was no way we could fit it into one episode. So we're going to split it up. A lot of unanswered questions about the moon. I'm surprised we're gonna, because we've been there like, what, seven times? Yeah, about that, right? So we're going to get into all of it here today and next week on part two. So stick around. It's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get into some of these stories about the moon... Karen, you have our fun fact, right? We always start off with a fun fact. That's right. I have a factoid about the moon. Um, scientists are convinced that a near-Earth asteroid may be a piece of the moon. Oh. It's the size of a Ferris wheel. It's pretty decent. It's a space rock, and it comes past Earth every April. Huh. And it's called Kamalewa. Wow. Sounds Hawaiian. It does, right? Yeah. Astronomers at the University of Arizona noticed this asteroid, and it had similar properties to the moon and the moon rocks brought back from NASA's Apollo missions, which we're going to get into. Mm -hmm. Scientists published their findings after five years of data collection, uh, and how that asteroid may have broken off from the moon. Who broke the moon? Mm. <laughs> In the first place <laughs> remains a mystery. So we start out with a fact and a mystery. That's right. And that's actually a good segue because there's a lot of mystery. You would think the moon is just, you know, all right, it's that big rock up there. It, you know, does all the things with the gravitational pull. And without it, we'd be... We wouldn't have tides. It'd be bad. Yeah. Um, how far away from the Earth is the moon? I want to say it is... 238,900 miles. Is that right? Yes. All right. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> what so, a guess. So comparatively speaking, the ISS is what, 200 miles above our head, 240? Yeah. So the moon is far, far away, and supposedly we've been there. That well, yes. That's <laughs> don't don't doubt the moon landing to Buzz Aldrin's face because he will punch you. He, I'm just gonna punch you in the face. And I think I mentioned that in our, our last episode when we teased the moon. I am going to have the video of Buzz Aldrin oh. punching a conspiracy theorist in the face you who confronted to. him about uh, the moon landing being fake. So. Can you imagine if you went all the way to the moon, 238,900 miles, and someone said, no you didn't. Right. 
my gosh. So a lot to get to there. We're, we do have a lot to get to on the Apollo missions, but that'll be in part two. Part one, we're starting off with some interesting things, right, Karen? With yeah. Ken Johnson in the 1960s? Well, what happened was that um, there's some questions about the moon, and some of them are... Why don't we have any high-res photos of them? Yes, good question. Of the moon, rather. The Russians have been there. Right. Um, we've been there. Right. There's questions whether or not the uh, Anunnaki's, you remember them, they were back during the ancient Sumerians and Babylonians. Yeah, we talked have about them in our visited there? ancient alien series. Maybe they did go there. Why did the Apollo missions end? Remember, they, only were, they went there from the uh, 60s and early 70s, and then they stopped... It's a great question. Russia went there. And why didn't we colonize it? Uh, there's so many weird and strange questions about the moon. So in the 1960s, Ken Johnston was the NASA test pilot, and he was the director of data and photo control department. Mm. The data and photo control department of the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And he inspected photos brought back from the moon by the astronauts. Right. It took like Polaroids or how that worked, but <laughs> they're not high res. And we had equipment back then that they could use. Yes. But that's right. For some weird reason. So here's Ken Johnston about the photos. In my opinion, that is not a natural structure. It's got to be some intelligent species that created it. He says the astronauts came back with some incredible photos. I was in kind of shock. And some of the craters would actually show domes and actual bases. He took the images to his boss and he said, hey, what's with these domes? Are they bases on the moon? And he said his boss told him to make the photos disappear. And we argued a little bit. He finally said, I don't care what you do, just get rid of those pictures that were taken. <laughs> How do you like that? <laughs> sounds like sounds like stuff today. Oh, just get rid of it. Yeah. So Ken Johnston, I mean, he's not the only person. We're going to have a lot of testimony like that here during these two parts of people talking about. And we'll put the photo up at. Our website, 850WFTL.com, yes. under the UAP blog post of these structures. Mm -hmm. First, he says they look like they were made by some sort of intelligent life. And then he's asking his boss, well, what are these? And he's like, make this photo disappear. And it's like, whoa. So, yeah, a lot of testimonies like that, you know, that you're going to hear and... <laughs> it's it just you're going to be really if, if you come into this as a skeptic by the end of it you may leave thinking wait all of these high-ranking officials are talking about the same thing seeing these structures on the moon trying to explain you know trying to explain that stuff away it's 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 impossible like how are there structures on the moon that's right and you know these images show possibly that there was another civilization that landed on the moon. Maybe the, An the Anunnaki's. <laughs> yes. Or, you know, this would be other than the uh, NASA astronauts. We had the Russians up there. So hmm. what about the photographic evidence of the moon bases? They asked this astrophotographer, Andrew McCarthy. It really does look like something artificial at first glance. When an impact happens, ejectas flung everywhere. Some of it is flung straight up and comes straight back down. And it creates these irregular piles in the middle of the crater that you see here. Frankly, if it wasn't there, that would be weird. So so his hypothesis is, is that basically the domes are created naturally by, you know, asteroids yes. creating craters and something hitting it. It comes, you know, all the, the residue and debris comes straight back down and creates that dome looking structure. Right. Which is possible. I mean, right, it's one or the other. But then again, if you go with Ken Johnston's account, 
why is his boss telling him get rid of the photos That's right. if it's just from you know uh, impact craters? I don't know. I mean, the moon is full of craters, right? Um, so, also uh, next, the Mars mission planner Jonathan Hill he took the photos and he took a look at the strange vehicle tracks on them. Now you can get these similar tracks on the moon from like a boulder rolling across. Right. Which I don't know if that would be some creature rolling the boulder, but they wouldn't be in parallel lines. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true too. Like these tracks. And remember the Soviets had a wheeled vehicle up on the moon as well in the 70s. I think they right. had it before us. Mm, okay. So, um, but Jonathan Hill, he is the Mars mission planner. He says that this is weird because the tracks are parallel. So my first thought was the lunar rovers driven by the Apollo astronauts. But images from the Apollo landing sites don't show that. The United States was not the only country that sent wheeled vehicles to the moon. They look very, very similar to those two parallel line tracks we saw before. But we still can't quite prove definitively that that's what caused these particular set of double tracks. So we have what seems to be vehicle tracks on the moon. We have what looks to be domes on the moon, yep. structures. So what is it? I mean, it, what was it? You know, Apollo vehicles? Was it Russian moon vehicles? Are these domes really just from impact craters? These are all questions that have not been answered. No. But the fact of the matter is, Karen, these things are being seen through photographs. Low-res photographs, again... We don't see any high-res photographs of, of the moon, even though we've had, that, we've had that technology for 60 years and they haven't showed us anything. It doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, well. Send a time photographer up there. Right. <laughs> anyway, so, and is the moon solid? You, you know, that's another question. Is right. Is it hollow? Is it solid? Is it made of cheese? Is it all sticky? That might sound like a crazy thing to ask, but, well, there's some people who have different theories on that. And some people say have they, they've seen lights on the moon. Right? What's that about? Well, you know, the lights could be, as far as theories go, lights from, you know, the different bases, uh, you know, structures and th things oh, like that on the moon. maybe the astronauts forgot to turn the lights off when they left. It could be. And put the alarm on. <laughs> but it is. I mean, look, there's there's been reports of all that stuff. And like you said, we've only ever seen one side, too. I mean, there's so That's much. That's the weirdest thing. Yes. And no one can tell me why we only see the one side and not the dark side of the moon. It just continues to follow us around on Earth without spinning. That's weird. There's no there's no spin to the moon. Right. It just kind of moves in that stationary space. But, you know, the Chinese actually have a probe on the dark side of the moon right, right now. And we haven't really seen any pictures from that yet either, have we? Unless, unless I'm not aware of it. Well... I think that Pink Floyd had a whole album about it, but that's all we know. That's a different story. I don't know. It's if, Well, we do have one guy that his name is Ingo Swan. Uh, He's yes. a remote viewer. And he wrote a book. He had to sign. Okay, so the CIA paid him to be a remote viewer and go to the moon and view what he saw on the moon. He saw people up there. He saw all kinds of stuff. All right. They were partying. <laughs> and so then they made him sign a 10 year non-disclosure agreement. Then after the 10 years, he started forgetting about stuff. So he wrote it all down and they said, oh, that would be a good book. So the book's called Penetration and it's available, but he explains what it was like when he was a remote viewer up on the moon. In this remote viewing sessions, uh, well, you know, viewed some things on the moon that I thought were really outrageously strange, like people there and big structures and uh, 
lots of activity and things like that. It started in 75 and went into 1976. And uh, But the, the whole series of events that took place because of this uh, sort of innocent remote viewing of the moon really were, to me, quite shocking. And uh, I was glad to forget about the whole thing until um, in uh, about 1990, 91, I realized I was starting to forget certain aspects of it, so I wrote it all down. And um, that led in my literary agent then said, oh, this is going to make a great book. And when she tried to sell it, nobody would uh, pick it up mm. and publish it. Imagine that. Because it contains um, several concepts that are very embarrassing, I think, to, well, the mainstream powers that be. <laughs> hmm. So what was so embarrassing, I exactly, guess? Exactly, right? Was it just the fact that... There were things that we're going to uncover that the government has been lying exactly what's up on the moon. Why did we stop the Apollo missions? Were, were some of those questions would we have looked weak because there's different civilizations, alien civilizations who already have colonized the moon? Is that what would be embarrassing? So again, just a little background on, on Ingo Swan, like Karen was saying. He's a remote viewer. Not only that... But he's considered the father of remote viewing. Oh, okay. And this is a guy who basically started um, a program at Stanford, I want to say, and started studying what the possibilities were of remote viewing. Actually, remember the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats? Yeah, Project with George Clooney. Right. Project Pegasus was something that Ingo Swan started. The Men Who Stare at Goats is based off of Ingo Swan and Project Pegasus. They're able to sit in a room and travel mentally to the moon or to the Soviet Union. Exactly. Look at the enemies, whatever. They can go anywhere they want with their mind. And that's how it started with Ingo Swan when it came to him working with, with the government. Because great they, name. It is. What came to him is that the CIA caught on to what he was doing and thought, hey, well, look, if this is actually working, let's go ahead and use you to spy on the Soviet Union and our other enemies to right. see what they're doing. Why don't we is, use you on Earth? Yeah. And, and then the moon stuff came later on with a man, by the way, named Axel Rod. No. <laughs> yes. Obviously a code name, but the man named Axel Rod came to Ingo Swan and said, Hey, we need, you, we need you to look at the moon. So he does explain what was so embarrassing. I have that here. We've been taught many years that the moon was a dead place. There was no water, no air, no nothing, you know. I saw... Air there, at least. I don't saw air. think I commented mm. on water on the moon, but uh, it's only in the last two years that uh, science has finally admitted that there is water and an atmosphere on the moon. But back in the 60s, it, this was denied. You know, we everybody was taught to believe that it was a dead, air, airless uh, satellite of Earth. And then even some of the, the NASA scientific missions there sort of discovered a number of things, like um, analysis of moon rocks suggests that they're about um, at least a half a billion years older than Earth is itself. So there is, oh. <laughs> if that would be true, and they think that that is true, then there's a question where the moon came from, and it's not, a, and it would not be a natural satellite of Earth. And uh, then the density of the moon is far less than would be expected if it was a solid satellite. So hmm. that means that it's probably got a lot of hollow cavities in it. And uh, even Carl Sagan in uh, printed a statement way back when that uh, a natural satellite cannot be hollow, and mm. if if the satellite's hollow, that means it's not natural. And uh, no real scientist said it's a created or man-made type of thing, but that's a direct implication there. Mm. 
Unpack that, Stephen. How do you like that? So, first, let's go back to how the moon got there. Well, right? and that's really interesting because he says that the moon is, according to the the stuff they brought back, the rocks, is billions of years older than the Earth, but there was this giant impact hypothesis called right. the Big Splash. It's the Thea impact, which suggests that the moon formed from the ejection of a collision between the proto-Earth and a Mars-sized planet wow. about 4.5 billion years ago. And uh, that, the, that planet was called Thea. Okay. And it hit the Earth and it knocked the uh, piece of the moon and the moon or all these pieces gathered and made the moon. Well, that can't be right. I mean, it's that that sounds like a crazy theory, and it's and it's on its own, really. I mean, you talk about all the stuff we talk about, and we sound crazy sometimes. That theory from scientists sounds crazy to me. Well, it's the only one they can come up with. How, how did the moon form? <sighs> that's, did someone make it? That's what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the question right now, right? I never really thought about questioning was the moon some type of man-made, so to speak. Structure or from an you know uh, an advanced civilization, whatever it might be. But when you talk about a guy who you know was considered to be the father of remote viewing, and we've talked about remote viewers before yes. on this show yes. in previous episodes, I mean it. It just it has to make you think a little bit. I know it sounds crazy to think that. Well, the moon may not be you know a natural formation, and he starts talking about there might be hollow caverns, which we're going to get into in part two as oxygen well. Oxygen up there, so there's some facts about the moon, Stephen. That the dark side of the moon, really both sides of the moon, see the same amount of sunlight. However, only one side faces us. Right. And we were talking about that, and it, it makes me bend spoons with my mind. I know. <laughs> I don't understand why we only see the one side of the moon, and. Uh, this guy, Ingo Swan, explains why. There may be a final answer to this question that you've posed, but I don't think there is one. I don't think anybody knows exactly why that happens, why the moon keeps one side always to Earth. That's one of the uh, phenomena of the moon that I made an effort to find out what the answer was, and, and it seems like there isn't an answer yet, so I don't have one either. If he doesn't have one, this is the guy who's looking at the moon and seeing structures and seeing all these different things. So, one side of the moon, the same side, always faces Earth. So, right. the side facing away from the Earth has only been seen by the human eye from a spacecraft. Right. And you say the Chinese have something over there. Yeah, the Chinese do have a probe on the dark side of the moon, and we haven't heard much about it. That'd but be kind of cool. Have it there. I've seen the dark side of the moon. Yeah, exactly. Maybe look, maybe it's exactly like the front, the the, the light side of the moon. You, you know? know. Well, uh, I don't know. And then the tides are caused by the moon. Of course, there are two bulges on the Earth due to the gravitational pull of the moon. Right. It exerts pull, and uh, one. Uh, the side facing the moon, and the other is in the opposite side that faces away from the moon. Mm -hmm. So the bulges move around the oceans as the Earth rotates, and it causes the high and low tides around the globe, which you can set your watch to. Now, if you want to get philosophical, you can say that this is all just the intelligent design of God. It's so smart. It is so smart. I mean, if you if you want to, you know, Thank take you that route, the then sure. And if for us to have another Earth, you know, another planet like Earth somewhere else in the whole galaxy and the whole solar system in the whole universe, you'd need to have the similar situation with the moon. Right, it's true. So they look for planets that are about the same distance from their suns mm -hmm. with possibility of a moon. Right, right. When they look for life on other, what do they call those, the uh, Goldilocks 
planets. Yeah, when they try to find a planet that might have life. Right. Some type of life. Maybe not, you know, humanoids like, like Earth or whatever, but some type of life. And it's... It really did all this stuff kind of it's so intriguing. It you is. Know? And the moon is drifting away from the earth. Did you oh, that's know that? Not good. Oh no. No, come back moon. Come back moon. It's only drifting 3.8 centimeters away from our planet um, each year. By the way, if you want to uh, take a look at some of the things we were talking about earlier, the, the moon structures uh, that we're seeing in those pictures or the Buzz Aldrin video where he punches the guy in the face, yeah. <laughs> you can go to 850wftl.com, uh, search out UAP on the podcast page. Or you can just search UAP on the website, and you can you know look at the UAP blog. All the episodes are there. Everything that we talked about in this episode and previous episodes, you can catch up on them if you want. It's all good stuff there. It really is. The one thing I like about the moon, Stephen, is yes. that you weigh much less on the moon. Oh, that is also a good thing. Yeah, You can go back to your birth weight. No. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, it's due to its smaller mass, so you weigh about one-sixth of your weight that you weigh on Earth. That is That's why lunar too. astronauts can leap around and ba- That's true. bound into the air. That's kind of fun, right? And some other fun facts about the moon. It's only been walked on by 12 people. Really? And they've all been American men. The first man, of course, was Neil Armstrong, 1969. So the, the Soviets send a, a rover, but no yeah. men. Right, right, I right, see. right, right. So that was the difference there. And supposedly we're supposed to be going back to the moon... At some point in the next few years. Yes. So my question is, and this is something that I was kind of thinking about going into this episode. We stopped going, right? Right. Why? That's always been one of the biggest questions. I think what the last mission was 1972, Apollo 17. And since then, the moon's only been visited by unmanned vehicles. Of course, all the lunar probes and everything that we send out, you know, that we send up there since 1972. But the question has always been, why did we stop going? Now, the easy answer is funding. Okay, if you if you don't want to go any true. conspiracy theory routes or anything sinister, well, then you can just say it's money. They started the shuttle program, which was very expensive. Right. So maybe that's the case. Or if you do want to go the other route, you can say it's because there was some type of deal struck. Maybe who was ever in those supposed structures on the moon didn't want us coming anymore. So my question to you, Karen, is once we go back, because by the time we go back, it's going to be over 50 years since we went to the moon. Right. So does that mean we're going to get some type of disclosure at that point now that we're going to be going back? And our technology is just so much further along. Oh, forget it. They used, I mean, we have more power in our cell phones than they had in the whole Apollo spacecraft yeah exactly you're right you're right and they they you can't tell me again in the 1960s this is a known fact they had and you'll hear from people in this episode and also next week uh, next week's episode on part two of the moon um who talk about the technology the satellite technology that the u.s government had already in the 60s yeah where they could read someone's license plate from space oh wow so why have we not even with the lunar modules that have gone up there and and the you know the rovers in the past, say, 20 years, why have we not seen a high-resolution picture? Or why is it not on Google Maps? <laughs> yeah, something. I mean, I don't know. I don't get it. But, hey, hey look, this is why we do the show. And All these questions. There's moonquakes, by the way. They, oh. they occur several kilometers beneath the surface, causing ruptures and cracks. And scientists think the moon has a molten core, like the Earth. It's not hollow. So, we don't know. And some Basically, weird- we have no idea. And what they also say about the moon, Karen, some other weird things you wouldn't think of, has no atmosphere. 
So well, that it has a little bit of an little it, has, bit. it has an exo what is it called an exo atmosphere? I think so. So if there is nothing like that, that means the Earth. I mean, I'm sorry, the Moon does not have a surface that is protected from cosmic rays. Right. Right? So that's no fun. Right. You'll have meteorites and solar winds and huge temperature variations, of course. And the lack of atmosphere also means that no sound can be heard on the moon. Oh. And the sky always appears black because you're just looking out into space. Right. So, and if you Because s- Carl Sagan can explain why our sky's blue. Both, yeah, there you go. That's why he's Carl Sagan. That's right. And I don't know if you saw the movie um, Ad Astra with yes. Brad Pitt. Kind of a crazy movie, but it was it was interesting. And there was one scene where they're having like this gunfight on the moon, but there's no sound. Sound right. So they kind of made that true to life. If there was a gunfight on the moon and explosions, there would be nothing. Here's our podcast on the moon. <laughs> Just silence. So in 1950, in the 50s, the USA, of course we did. We wanted to detonate a nuclear bomb on the moon. You know, that's what we like yeah, to do. Not? We just like to destroy everything. But we didn't, thank God. Can you imagine? <laughs> say, hey, let's see what this will do on the moon. And the aliens would have been very upset. Then we blow up the moon and, yeah, well, that's why the aliens come here to check out, make sure we don't blow up the moon. Right. Well, you don't oh, want those dumb humans are going <laughs> to blow the moon up. You got to send George over there. <laughs> Unbelievable. My God. But yeah, when you go back to, and think about with Ingo Swan and everything that he says that he saw, again, this is a guy, known fact, who worked for the U.S. government. Did they a lot paid of, him. They paid him, yes. Did a lot of remote viewing. For the CIA. And it's, I mean, remote viewing in itself is a fascinating aspect because you talk about a, a technique, a psychic te- technique, I guess you could say, that allows you to go into this altered state of consciousness to look out at something else. And what they did for Ingo Moon was they would give Ingo Moon, Ingo Swan, they would give him, saying Moon too much, um, coordinates. And they actually, there was, there was one time where they gave him coordinates for uh, Jupiter, but he didn't really? know what he was looking at. Oh, so they just sent him the coordinates and he's, oh, that's interesting. And then he did it and he was describing Jupiter. He described wow. all these, you know, ice crystals in the air and that was kind of what looked like rings around Jupiter. And at that point, when did he was- Did he see Thor Majestic? What's his name? No, no, nothing like that. Uh, Valiant name? Thor. Valiant Thor. He was in Venus. Oh, he was it was Venus. Venus. Yes, yes. If you have no idea what we're talking about, yeah. just go back to uh, uh, Alien Agents in the Government. You can learn about Valiant Thor in one of our previous episodes. Fascinating stuff. And that was in season two. So, But he talked about describing the surface and the air surrounding Jupiter. And then he talked about uh, rings that were around Jupiter. And at that point, when he was doing the, re- the remote viewing, there was no such mention of rings. So they're like, what is this guy talking about? Well, a few years later, NASA discovers that Jupiter does, in fact, have rings, not oh, like Saturn, where they're so big and visible. That? But there's no way for him to know that. It wasn't even discovered by NASA yet. That's so cool. So this is a guy that, that look, hey, they gave him coordinates. You go look. And that was, uh, that's, that's what he did. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. You have to, I think I'm going to go to Denny's and get my moons over my hammy now because <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Totally mooned up. Starting to get a little hungry. Yeah. But But next week, what are we doing? So next week, and this is, my gosh, (laughs) when you talk about some of this stuff that we just talked about here with Ingo Swan and and, uh, Axelrod, okay? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Before I get to next week, 
I forgot one bit from Axelrod. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, this guy's name is Axelrod. How can I not talk about him more? He talked about taking Ingo Swan on a flight to an unknown, uh, unknown North Lily, uh, de- uh destination. Now, deduced by Ingo Swan, of course, as a remote viewer, he guessed it was somewhere in Alaska. When they were there, along with them, they took two twin bodyguards, Ingo Swan called them, and Axelrod and Swan attempted to secretly watch what they called a recurrent UFO appear over this undisclosed location in Alaska and suck up the water from the lake. Now, why is that important? Because remember, we've talked about before, Karen, USOs. Right. Unidentified submerged objects. We, that was in another episode that we did previously that you can find at 850WFTL.com and on Apple and Spotify, wherever you get this podcast. And so that would go to that theory about USOs being underwater, or maybe using something, water as fuel, whatever it might be. Now, Axelrod discloses then to Swan, according to Ingo Swan in his account, that the silent, growing, oscillating triangle, again, the triangle UFOs are back, right. are simultaneously scanning the area and eliminating any animals in the area. Ooh. That the silent beams he talked about that were emanating from the triangular object, that they were blasting deer or porcupines from oh, the woods. Oh my gosh, why? Just, just clearing it out. Oh. And then he talks about the twin bodyguards who came to the attention that they've been discovered by the UFOs, and then the group was attacked. Hmm. Again, this is according to Ingo Swan's account of what happened. They were attacked by the UFO. Swan says that he was thrown to safety by his colleagues and sustained only minor injuries. So, this guy has some pretty fantastical stories. Again, you're talking about a guy... Who's Axelrod? Axelrod was... One name, Axel, last name Rod. Not was, like Axel Rose. No, 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 not like that. He's basically the government agent, the secret government agent who would uh, talk to Ingo Swan and have him do oh, all so these. He's the guy that got him to do the remote viewing. Right. Thing. Okay. All the remote got him viewing. On the payroll. Yeah. Got it. The experiments. And basically, he kind of became like his government guide, got so it. to speak. His go-to guy. His handler. Yes. Yes, exactly. And apparently in this one time, they ended up going to Alaska to do some type of viewing of these triangular UFOs and things got a little wild. I see. Yes. That's crazy. So this guy, uh, Ingo Swan, had a pretty interesting life, especially when you're talking about being the father of remote viewing and basically coming up with the technique himself and yeah. seeing Jupiter and these all these things on the moon. And his book, one of the books, he has many, but one of them is called Penetration. That's his when he went to the moon and he viewed what was what he saw on the moon, if you want to read that. Yes. It's a, they, basically an autobiography that came out in uh, 1998 and... Talks about all that stuff, and even talks about how he uh, came into contact with a scantily clad uh, female alien in a Los Angeles supermarket. Really? They have gender. That's hmm. what he says. He concluded that uh, extraterrestrials... It was Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Maybe. He concludes that extraterrestrials are living on Earth in humanoid bodies, yeah. so kind of I like... I believe uh, that. Yeah, I mean, look, that's been talked about before. When they say, uh, you know, reptilians, so to speak, are dressed as humans. You've seen that in shows like um, uh, V, I think it was called. That was a couple of iterations of that show in the early 2000s and in the 80s. Even uh, They, They Live, I think. Right. With uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper back in the 80s. That movie was pretty wild. So My favorite Martian. Yes. E. So all those different things that talk about, you know, aliens looking like humans. And that's what Ingo Swan refers to there. So... Pretty interesting guy, the single swan, and 
the thing that got me the most is that he's the one who said that there was rings around Jupiter before NASA That's even right. discovered it. That's amazing. And this is a guy that worked for the government for a long time. And they gave him coordinates. He had no idea where they were sending him. They would just give him so coordinates. What, yeah. coordinates would he, what are they, as, a, as opposed to, I mean, the coordinates are based on what? It's not lat long, so... You mean space has coordinates? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm not sure how the coordinates work for Jupiter, but they they basically gave him something and said, hey, you know, take a look at this. And all of a sudden he's on Jupiter. Same thing for the moon or when he was spying on the Soviet Union and trying to do all that stuff. Pretty wild stuff, Karen. I mean, it is. I love this because, you see, Stephen has been documenting all these weird stories for years and years and years. And he has a whole list of them and he never do what, you know, he just wrote them down. He didn't have a purpose. And then suddenly podcasts started and then the United States government released some information about UFOs and it's exploded. And now we have our podcast. And we appreciate everybody who's been listening and hopefully you're enjoying it. I mean, we, we see it growing and it's growing uh, exponentially so it we is. appreciate you but it's mostly because you know you've been studying this for so long you're not going to hear this anywhere else it's a compilation of things that you're not going to hear anywhere else because steven's been researching this for so long <laughs> and now it's come to fruition it is pretty well yeah, dig unique. into it yeah yeah it's a pretty unique combination it's fun no, thank you yeah. It is fun. We always have a lot of fun. Hopefully you have fun listening. Yeah. You can always do it at 850WFTL.com, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can rate us with five extraterrestrial stars, Please. as we like to say. And also tune in next time. Oh, yeah. What are we talking about next time? Oh, it's part two of our moon series. Wait, it's part two of our season three. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Episode two, part two of season three, next time on UAP, because we're going back into more stories of people like Carl Wolf, who was worked for the Air Force, and said that he he saw the pictures of the structures on the moon, and what happened to him later on as well. Wow! Not to mention the lost transcripts, Karen. This is what I've been waiting oh, to get this to is fun. for weeks and weeks and weeks. I've been waiting to get to this one part that we're going to do next week. So some ham operator heard this conversation from the moon. Yes. When they switched channels. That's right. Apparently, the lost audio from the Apollo Eleven mission when. It, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong switched to the medical channel. What was being said? What did they see? And audio from Buzz Aldrin himself Ooh, who talks sticky. about seeing a UFO. On the moon. Yes. On the way to the moon anyway. Oh, oh. Oh, I can't wait to get into all this. Part two is going to be Do we fan- have the audio? We sure do. Oh, yay. Part two is going to be fantastic next week. Don't miss that. And make sure, again, if you've missed any other episodes previously, you can always find them at 850WFTL.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Stephen Diener right here. Karen Curtis over there. We'll talk to you again next time. Thanks.